We're going to talk this morning and expand on what we talked about last week. Last week, we uh, learned that Jesus wants us to stop. None of you remember? Whining. Jesus wants you to stop whining. We learned to have thankfulness, and we saw seven days of gratitude. How many of you guys posted on the, saw the, the post every single day? Seven days of gratitude, okay, on Facebook. So we posted about our gratitude because we are in the process of resetting our brains to learn how to be grateful and to activate that. Does anybody remember what it's called? Medial, some cortex. Medial, the medial frontal cortex. Literally, you guys forgot the front. They remembered cortex. That's pretty, that's funny. That's funny. So, yeah, got the big one. Can't remember. It's in front. All right, so we're learning that gratitude actually activates our brains to make smarter decisions. And, and so we're actually able to grow in intelligence from simply living in gratefulness. And just simply writing down what we're grateful for, just simply writing it down activates that portion of our brain for three months. And so we want to expand on this concept because there's more actually behind that that you need to understand that can actually drastically shift your health, your life, your finances, everything inside of this understanding. So this morning my message is entitled, Jesus wants you to stop begging. Jesus wants you to stop begging. <laughs> Does anybody in here like a beggar? Okay, I'm not just talking about people that are in need. That's not what I'm, I mean. But just somebody that's always like, how many parents in here like it when their kids beg? Right? Please, right? My kids come to me, Dad, I need $50 for the mall. And I'm like, what do you need $40 for? $30 is a lot of money. 20 bucks? I worked really hard for that. Fine, here's $5. Go away. It's just, it's not fun when your kids are always begging you, uh, Right? Right? What do you say to them? No, right? When they're begging, like stop whining, stop begging, right? Get a job. Amen. Lord, Lord, from his ears, right? Get a job. I, I hear people tell me that at least once a week. Get a job. All right, so we're talking this morning uh, about Daniel. So Daniel is this great man of God, this great prophet who writes all about the end times. And Daniel was in captivity, uh, uh during a time in Babylon, and, and he was really just, I mean, Daniel in the lion's den, we've all heard that, right? He got thrown into a, a group of lions, and they did not devour him. So this is a powerful man of God. And the Lord shows him this vision in Daniel 10, and Daniel had already been going through a process of cleansing and a process of just uh, uh, weeping for the nation of Israel and crying out for the nation of Israel. And he has this vision come upon him. And it hits him so profoundly. Let me just say it. He's totally rocked by it. And he doesn't know really what to make of it. And all his strength leaves him. And what happens is he's praying and crying out to God for 21 days. So he begins to pray. And we're going to pick up the story after the 21 days. An angel appears to Daniel. And he said to me, and this is what Daniel's saying, and he said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved. How would, how would you guys like that when an angel shows up, the first thing he says is, hey, by the way, God beloves you. Right? Right? Come on. Some of you guys don't ask God what he thinks because you're really afraid of the answer. All right? So he shows up and he says, Daniel, 
man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you. And stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand. Say heart. Your heart to understand and to humble yourself. Say humble. Yourself before your God. Your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom stood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face downward to the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, say suddenly. Look, let me tell you something right now. Daniel is waiting 21 days for this word. Let me pause there for a second. Daniel is waiting 21 days for this word. And then this guy says, and suddenly. Okay? When you, there are times in your life that the answer for God does not come quickly, but it always comes suddenly. Okay? It may not come quickly, but when it comes, it comes suddenly. Some of you guys think the process has to take forever. I'm slowly getting better, and every day is just a little bit more healing. Let me tell you what. Sometimes you're, you're praying to God for something, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. You see nothing, and then one day, bam, suddenly it all breaks. Suddenly you're set free. Suddenly you're healed. Suddenly your finances change. Suddenly your family comes to Jesus, and suddenly something happens. It might not come quickly, but it can come suddenly. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, my strength remains no strength remains in me now nor is any breath left in me then again one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me and he said oh greatly beloved fear not peace be to you be strong yes be strong so when he spoke to me i was strengthened and said let my lord speak for you have strengthened me suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hand. Therefore, I was alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to down. So here is Daniel, absent of strength. He has seen the vision of the Lord. He has seen... <clears throat> a vision from God. So God has laid out the roadmap of what Daniel is to do, what is eventually going to become the book of Daniel. And he's going to write down the visions that he's seen. But while he's in that process that God has revealed to him, his destiny strength leaves him. And this angel of the Lord shows up and says, peace be unto you. And strength comes back to Daniel. Does that sound like anything we've been talking about? Right? Peace be unto you and strength comes to Daniel. And so even the angels understand the weapons of our warfare look a lot different than what we think they do. 
So this, this angel speaks peace to Daniel and strength comes back on him. Some of us walk around totally depleted of our strength because we just have no peace in our life. And we have to learn that love, joy, and peace are the guardians of our faith. They are the guardians of our strength. And there are times when we are called to things that God has asked us to do things. And literally, you think that when, when you're like, Lord, what am I supposed to do with my life, right? What am I supposed to do, right? God, please just, and we start begging God. So Daniel's crying out for 21 days, and the angel of the Lord says, the day you said it, I was sent. So it may not happen quickly, but it can happen suddenly. The day you said it, I was sent. All you had to do was wait on me. See, in the process of waiting, we go from understanding that the answer is already sent to beggars. There is a period of time where we don't see results, and we think that if we just beg God hard enough, if we just throw ourselves on the floor and kick our feet hard enough, that maybe God will pay attention to us, and maybe he will answer our prayers. Right? God, please. Come on, all of us have done it. Right? There are moments in your life where you're like, this is serious. And I don't think God realizes how serious it is. So I'm going to beg and plead, and then maybe he'll hear me. That gives a false understanding of who God is in your life. What it does is it takes away God's love for you. Did you know that? When you beg God, you are telling him that he does not love you enough. That you have to go to extreme measures to get him to pay attention to you. That that's the only way, that he's really not interested in what's wrong with you. And that you have to make a deep plea from a beggar's perspective. That if you just show him you're in need enough, that then maybe he'll have compassion on you. And that takes God off the throne. It removes him from a place of understanding not only who you are, but who he is in your life. Working through you. And we get an unhealthy perspective which can shift everything. We learned about our uh, what, what ungratefulness does to our brain and what gratefulness does. But see, we have to have a right understanding not only of who he is, right? He's the God on the throne. He's the God that sees all, knows all, and loves us more than anything. But what happens is, is somewhere we get unbalanced. Either we don't understand who we are or we don't really understand who he is. So let's just start right now with who you are and understanding your identity. Because unless you know who you are and what image you were made in, you will never fully grasp the reality that you are not a beggar. Revelations 4, 2 through 4, Revelations 4 says it this way. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Okay, let me stop there. Who, who's on the throne? God, right? Jesus, God, right? Say either one. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. So now we got 24 other thrones in Revelation. The last I checked, we, there's, a, there's a father, there's a son, and what was that third one? There's a whole, oh, Holy Spirit, right? Right? So we got three. Who, 
Who are the 24 for? Now, let's see, in Isaiah 11, that says there's uh, seven spirits of God, so let, let's just put seven on there just in case, right? And that, well, hold on, that's not 24. So who are these other 24? Who are these elders? We are. There, there's been people that have been put in that position. Let, let me put it this way. Revelation 3.21 says this. The one who conquers, say conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Whose throne? His throne. So did he say, I'll give you a throne beside mine? Or said, you can sit right here with me. Now, I don't know about you, but I got a comfy spot on the couch, right? We had some recliners. And, and if you have a decent-sized recliner and you are married, where do you want your husbands, where do you want your wife to sit? The other side of the room, right, exactly. But because uh, she gets, like, body heat, and then you're sweating, and she won't get off your arm, and then your arm is falling asleep because she puts her head right on the nerve, right? And then, like, three hours later, like, I got to pee, but you're sleeping, be honest. Some of you are like, yeah, that's true. No, you want, you want, if you love your spouse, you want them to sit right next to you. So you're willing. How many in here, are you, you've been a couple, and you've squeezed into a not-so-perfect fitting chair just so you could sit with each other, right? Or someone's client, you know, you got women, come on, you know, you got, like, you're cold, so your legs get wrapped like a pretzel around them, right? And somehow your feet started out going this way, and now they're in their face, and you're like, it's fine, I'm warm, Right? <laughs> I don't know what it is, like, but every time I come in here, uh, everyone hugs me, and they have, like, somebody taught all of, I don't know if you learned this in, like, school or where, but every woman in here has the same hug that they give me. They, they have the, the, the arm and swoosh, okay, the arm and swoosh. So they go like this, and they go, and they go to hug me, and they're like, good morning, and it's like, I'm already kind of short. Like, I don't know why. They all, and they all snuggle up under my armpit, and it's like, that's weird, that's, a, you know, swarm, you know, it's warm. Yeah, no, I showered. It's not you. It's good. Uh, but it, it's, it's shower fresh scented, so it's good. So, but they do that. They come over and they go, good morning, and they swoosh under, right? So they have, they want, I don't know why they want to get there, but they want to get close, okay? So it's weird. It's awkward, but I love you. All right, but here it is. We have God. Here it is. We have God. I train wrecked the whole thing right there. Everyone's like, ah. I am always in his armpit. That's weird. It's kind of weird, okay? It's kind of, but I love you all. It's okay. It's all right. All right. I, I don't mind being close. So, so God, here it is. He says, for him who conquers. Does it say for him who gives up? Does it say for him who stands and doesn't win? It says for him who conquers. I'll have him sit right next to me on my throne. I'll have, I want them sitting right here. Why? Because we're not just called to be sons and daughters of God, but when we come together, we're called to be the bride. Okay? I get it, dudes. It's weird. Okay? Not any weirder than somebody hugging my armpit. Okay? But it's weird. But we're called to have an intimate relationship with God. So much so that he's saying, like, if you conquer, you're going to come sit right next to me. We're not sitting on the throne because we rule over God. Understand what I'm saying. We're not sitting on there because we're ruling over God. We're sitting there because he just wants intimacy. He's sitting us down because that's the place of intimacy. But we are called to sit on that throne. So here's the thing. Do beggars sit on thrones? Do people without authority or authorization sit on thrones? Who sits on thrones? Those that rule, correct? The Bible does not call you a peasant. 
It does not list you as one of the many peasants of God. That one day you will go home and you will be joined back to your father and you will get to be a peasant in the kingdom. The Bible says that if you conquer, if you overcome, if you, are, you go there, then you will sit on the throne because you are a son and a daughter of God. And if you are a son and a daughter, certain privileges are available to you. Certain rights are available to you, right? I like my pickup truck, and my kids take it all the time, right? They're always like, we need to borrow your pickup truck for stuff, right? Every time they need it. There are people in this church that take my pickup truck all the time, okay? Yeah. They're like, who has an old pickup truck that won't mind if I put a small scratch in it? Call pastor. All right, so I have a pickup truck. I lend it out to people because you're my people. You're, you're my people. So you have certain access and privileges that other people don't. You don't have to beg me to borrow my truck. You just have to come pick it up and return it. I'm not driving it to you, okay? You don't have to beg me for things. You don't have to beg your pastor to pray for you. How awful would that be if you had to beg me to pray for you? Right? You'd probably find another church if you had to beg me to get me to pray for you. And I wouldn't blame you for that. Pastor, will you pray for me? I don't know. Kind of busy. Yeah. I'm having a crisis. Will you pray for me? Uh, did you tithe? <laughs> you find another church for sure if that came, all right? Just tacky. That is tacky. Some people. You know, there are probably pastors out there that have done that to people, right? Okay? <laughs> that was better than a gym. Man, that was like interactive. Come on. Quiet church is a dead church, right? Come on. You'd expect me. You'd find another church if that was the case. Yet somehow we think that we have to do that to God. We think that if we give, God will respond to us. That if we serve, God will respond to us. If we beg and cry out, God will respond to us. If we're just perfect enough, then God will care about us enough. And we don't understand that we are sons and daughters and we don't have to beg to have his attention. To be good sons and daughters, we do those things out of a loving relationship, but not to get his attention. Not to earn his love. And not to have his authority. So I talked about this. When a prince walks into the city, he has certain rights and authority in that city, yes? He walks in. I was watching some show, and the king walked into this tavern thing. And he said, everybody out. And instantly, everyone took off, right? And then he looked at the owner of the tavern and said, you, out. And she said, well, I own this place. He says, well, I owe this kingdom. Whoop. Better believe she went out, right? Because the king had arrived. Somebody with authority had stepped in, in the, the door. Someone with the right. So when a prince shows up, he has the same rights, correct? But how many guys have seen one of those movies where the prince, he, he wants to be, or the princess, they want to be normal. I just want to be normal, right? The princess is like, I hate it that everyone loves me and I'm so beautiful. Right? It's the same movie every time. I just want to be normal. So they put on a cloak, right? And they hide their identity and they go out into the town so they can be normal, right? So they can skip through the mud-trodden poop feces roads, and, right? In the old, right? I just want to hang out with the piggies, right? I don't want to wear pretty dresses. 
That's what they do, and they wear cloaks, and nobody knows who they are. So when they step into the tavern, they have no authority. They have no rights. They have no voice. Their voice carries no weight. So when they speak, their strength is gone because they have none, because their identity has been masked. But then, you know, in the movie, suddenly someone's like, right, and they're like, the princess, right? Some of you are waiting. You're just like, "Uh uh-huh, one day everyone's going to see I'm a princess, and they're going to bow down to me and do what I say. I knew it was going to be Billy. Uh, I just knew that. I knew that was going to happen. I was looking right at her, too. I'm like, she's going to be like, me, me, I ought to do that. I got a TR, I'm waiting. All right, so, but the, the reality is in the kingdom of God, you are. You are sons and daughters of a king, which makes you princes and princesses, which means that when you walk in a room, you have authority over this world. You don't believe me? See what God did when he made man. First thing he did, what did he say? Take dominion. Right? Take dominion over what? Some things? Everything. All things. In the air, in the sea. Right? You ever taken dominion over a fish? You're like, you way down deep in there. I have dominion. Get in my boat. Right? That's why I don't go fishing because they don't listen to me like that. It's rude. Adam messed that all up. I had dominion, and they just get in the boat. And then they messed it up, right? That's why Peter had so many attitude problems, right? Because they wouldn't just get in his boat like he told them to. He kept having to have Jesus go, you have dominion. Just throw your net on the other side. Learn how to throw your net. When I speak, you have dominion. See, there's power in relationship with God that gives you back the dominion that man lost in the garden. And you need to recognize who you are and what authority you carry. You are throne sitters. You are not beggars on the corner. Hmm, It's good. Ephesians 2, 6 or 7 says this. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. In order that the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So this one tells us why. So is that enough? Like we're seated in high places with him. That's what it says. In order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches. How many of you guys need a little incomparable riches in your life? Anybody? Right? I can't. I'm a pastor. Everyone will just accuse me of stealing money. Uh, I just need some comparable riches. Make sure they're comparable. Uh, Yeah, that's about equal to me. He's fine. That's good. Uh, Riches of his grace expressed in his kindness due to Christ Jesus. So he put us there so that we could take part in his grace, so that we could have his kindness. He says he put us there for kindness. He put us there for grace. Not that we need to beg him to be kind to us. Not that we need to beg him to have grace on us. Oh, Lord, please, just have mercy on me. What are you talking about? I gave you mercy from the beginning. Stand up and be who I've called you to be so that mercy will be your best friend and partner with you and go with you. You have it available to you, and you're begging God for something you possess. Right? It's kind of like my kid. You see where my shirt is? Did you check your closet? Uh, all I saw was clothes on the floor. Yeah, that's probably where it is then. Right? I don't know why they have closets. Those are just floor storing areas. Right? How many of you guys have teenagers in here, right? 
right? There's like you go in there and they have three things hanging up and everything is on a pile. And it's like, is that all your dirty clothes? And I'm like, no, 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 that's the dirty clothes and that's the clean ones. It's like, it looks like a mountain. Oh, it's a very sophisticated system I have. It's very sophisticated, right? Not that I'm really any better. If you go in my office, there's just piles of stuff, but I know where everything is in there. It looks chaotic, but then no one touches my stuff, right? Because it's scary. Uh, and there might be something living underneath it. So you just, you don't mess with it. All right, so Christ has seated us with him. We have authority with him, all right? Uh, <laughs> so I want you to understand that your words have to come with authority. That there are people who say things and there are no weight to their words when they say a thing. And when they say it, it has no authority. It does not matter what you say. It matters the authority you say it in. Right? Earlier I asked you guys to stand up. You did, right? If someone from the back yells, stand up, you're all going to turn around and be like, who's yelling? Right? Right? What's, what is, why are they yelling? Security might stand up. Okay? Oh, he did. Oh, oh boy. It's okay. It was false alarm. False alarm. You can sit. Sit. Tank is ready. Man, he's like, he's like come on. I got nothing to do. Somebody make you tackle you, right? We had a meeting the other, we had the breakfast thing, and some kid was kicking a soccer ball in the foyer, and like, boom, you know, it kicked against the, it's not going to hurt nothing, but Tank's like, ooh, something to do. And he went out there, had his gun showing like that, he walked out there, you're like, hey, knock it off with the ball. <laughs> and that kid was like, you have authority in your words. Yes, sir, you have authority in your words. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. He took authority in his words, right, because he was packing. Right? And he's scary, right? Until you meet him and you're like, oh, you a teddy bear, right? But when he walks up and doesn't know, he's like, God, right? So, <laughs> but when you walk up and he walks out there and he's got the gun, the kid's like, no more ball. I get it. I get it. You're going to shoot my ball? You're going to shoot my ball if I kick it. That's cool. It's cool. Oh, you did shoot my ball. Okay. I'm not going to play with it. That was a warning shot to my ball. Let me know if I bring another ball, then you're going to shoot that ball too. Okay. We're good, right? Guess who didn't kick any more balls? He didn't say anything. He's like, guys, stop with the ball. Right? And they're like, yes, sir. Right? Because he carried authority in his words. Right? Because he walked in a position that he had. He carried, he carried the weapons of his authority on his side. Right? Now, we don't have spiritual guns. Right? But, but the Bible tells us that we have certain authority. And that Jesus had been given all authority on heaven and earth. Right? And Mark 1.27 says this. They were all amazed... Mark 127, they were all amazed so that they debated among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. So it wasn't that they were just marveling that he was teaching something they had never heard before. How many of you guys have heard something you're like, oh, that's a good way to put that? You ever had somebody tell you what you're supposed to do and you know it's good advice, but they carry no authority? Right? And you're like, okay, you heard that from like Dave Ramsey on how I should deal with my checking account, but I don't know why you're telling me like you're some kind of Jedi master at finances. Like, right? You cut off your finger day one with your lightsaber of financial blessing. Like, you don't know what you're talking about, okay? Right? You don't know what you're talking about. I have people, you know, it, it, like uh, one of the joys of my life as a pastor lately has been this idea that every time I open Facebook, I'm like, Oh, that's good. I'm going to share that. And it's one of you guys posting. And I'm like, look at them rising up in authority who they're called to be. Understanding. 
And see, the thing is, I won't share your post if you don't live it. Here's what happens a lot of times. We like to take what someone, come on, Facebook is the biggest propaganda of this one. You take someone else's meme, you take someone else's statement, you take someone else's picture, you're like, oh yeah, that's truth right there. I'm going to share it. Like you walk in the authority of it. Well, the original post has a thousand shares and nobody shared my post. Yeah, because they know you don't live that. They, They know you don't live that. So your words are cute, but they have no authority, okay? But when somebody that has the authority says it, there's more weight to it. It, matter, it, 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 it hits closer to home. Oh, yeah, you know, they know. Right? You, don't, you don't take your financial advice from a homeless guy, do you? Anybody? Because we'll talk afterwards, all right? <sighs> okay. You don't, you don't take your marriage advice from somebody who's had six failed marriages, do you? Like, do you do that? The only advice you should take from them is tell me what you would do so you can do the exact opposite. Okay, uh-huh, uh-huh. So you tell them how it is, huh? You're going to tell them how? I'm just going to forgive them then, all right? Because whatever, whatever, you know. You don't take your advice from somebody that doesn't walk in authority. So here's Jesus teaching a new thing. And they couldn't figure it out. They're like, oh, he said something we never heard before. Who's this guy? This guy says it, but then he has authority. And even the unclean spirits obey him. Maybe we should put some weight into his words. Maybe we should listen to what this man has to say. Okay? But we have a generation of people that think the idea of of having authority is to simply go on Facebook and to go on YouTube and get somebody else's authority, regurgitate it like it's their own, and somehow they've bypassed the rule of learning it the hard way that it costs you something. Authority will always cost you something. Right? Some of you dads in here know exactly what I'm saying. Some of your sons are like, whatever, dad, you don't know. And you're like, you will learn, boy. I learned, right? Safety first. You put on the goggles. I don't need no goggles till they're running around with an eye patch on looking like a pirate now, right? Because they didn't learn, right? You don't want to learn that way. Learn from somebody who has authority in a matter. And take their authority. Partner with people who know something about what they're saying, and they carry the authority of what they say. Do you understand? Both in the world and spiritual, it works this way. Don't take your financial advice from a poor person. Don't. Don't take your spiritual advice from somebody that lives one way on Sunday and lives another way on Monday. Don't do it. Those people wait until they're in trouble and start begging God for something. And that doesn't work. You don't have to beg God. You're a son. You're a daughter. Matthew 18, 18 says this. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound on earth, and whatever you loose in heaven shall be loosed in heaven. The the Bible is very clear that we have authority both here and in heaven. That we were made in the image of God and that the first thing he did was give us dominion over the earth. We lost it. See, we gave it away. When the enemy came, a snake came in and deceived man. And we handed over our dominion and said, you can have this. And made him the ruler of the earth. Let me me prove that to you. Daniel. We read that in Daniel. It says that this angel was dispatched the moment that Daniel spoke. His words had authority. He did not need to beg. But as soon as he spoke, the angel was dispatched. 
because he was beloved. And it said this. It said because his heart was right with God. That's what it said. Because you set your heart to understanding. He set his heart to understanding. We learned last week that the heart actually communicates more to the brain than the brain does to the heart. Okay, the, the heart is the one speaking more. The brain is responding to what has been said. Okay, you can put that in perspective between a man and a woman, right? A lot of you guys understand that dynamic, right? The heart is the woman and the brain is the man and the woman is always telling the man what to do and he's like, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. A healthy marriage, right? A good marriage, right, women? Right, you're like, meh, meh, meh. are you listening? Yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear, right? So we can understand it that way. But it says, because you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before that, that I heard that. But then it says this, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And then it says, I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. With the kings of Persia. See, there are rulers of this world that were never intended to rule over you. But we gave away dominion. That dominion is ours. When you set your heart right for God, when you get your heart in the right place and you align it with God, what you do is get correct kingdom authority back. And the dominion that we gave away in the garden that made these demons kings and princes over regions. See, when your heart is set on God, who's the king of your world? Jesus, right? When you give your life over, you put God back on the throne of your life. And by placing him back as king of your life, you, you break every chain of the kings of this world that had dominion over you. So in Persia, these men were not living for God. They were not godly men. So what they thought, see here, here's what happened. The king of Persia walked around going, I am king of this land. All the while not realizing that there were spiritual forces behind him that really ruled Persia. And that angel got caught up in them, fighting them for 21 days. Says I fought the princes and I fought the kings of Persia. How many, how many kings of Persia was there? One, one earthly king. But there were spiritual authorities that ruled over that kingdom and divided amongst themselves as kings because man had given away their authority at the time. So when you come back to Jesus, when you put Jesus in the proper place in his throne and you accept your authority and sit with him in high places because you are more than a conqueror, you take back the dominion that has been given to the enemy and that which once belonged to the enemy is now yours to rule over. That's how you take it back. There are no kings of FFC that rule over this place. There is only the king and I'm his son. Do you understand? Why does the enemy seem to have a hold over you? Because you have him on the throne. Because you haven't allowed God to sit on the throne of your life. Because you are still begging him like you have no authority to sit there with him. Stop begging. Everyone say that. Stop begging. What happens is, is in, in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 5, we hear it this way. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Having a form of godliness and denying its power. And from such people turn away. The Bible tells us not to have anything to do with people that have a form of godliness but denying the power within. Now, let me explain that word power to you. That is the word dynamin. Say dynamin. You see it there? Dynamin. And the root word of dynamin is what you see throughout the whole Bible in different uh, um, um, context is dunamis. Dunamis. That word dynamin is where we get the root word for English, dynamite. Okay? 
So let me say that to you. Having a form of godliness, but denying the explosive dynamite power of God. This is not, oh, gee, Lord, please help me. What God is saying is that have nothing to do with people that say words that carry no authority. That have no weight to them, that have no power in them. That we are called to be sons who carry authority in our words and can back up our words. Right? When my kids were getting picked on in school, like, like I have a, a pretty simple philosophy of bullies. It's really simple this. My first advice to my kids is this. Ignore them. Okay? Ignore them. Not because that'll work, but because you'll get to distinguish who they are. If they're just obnoxious kids, ignoring them will take away their fun and they'll quit. Okay? Obnoxious kids will quit when you ignore them. Bullies will not. Parents hear me. Seriously. Bullies will not quit when you ignore them. Okay? But, you, but the first time when you ignore them for a little bit, you will find out, are they just obnoxious or are they just a bully? Or are they a bully? So you get to distinguish that. And then once the, the ignoring doesn't work, you have to step up and take authority. You have to step up and say, touch me again, see what happens. Man, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. Right? Touch me again, see what happens. Right? What are you going to do about it? Do it and find out. And that kid has to stand there and go, does he have any power behind his words or are these just empty words? Right? Come on, any of you guys ever dealt with a bully and wondered what would happen if you stood up to him? You wonder if he's going to run or if he's going to do something about it? And you are, come on, some of you guys lived in fear thinking that bully might have some authority behind his words. That you allowed his words to cripple you and hurt you the whole time thinking that he had authority over you. He doesn't. So we are called to have authority. God wants to bless you. Look, you are a son and a daughter. God wants to bless you. Did you know his word says over and over again that he wants to bless you? That you don't have to beg him for it? Does that mean everything's always going to be perfect? No. Right? Parents in here, you don't make everything perfect for your kids, do you? No, because you, you want them to grow. So you give them opportunities where things are a little tough because it's going to make them grow. But you don't ever just let them get destroyed, do you? You don't put them in situations to fail, do you? But you put them in situations to grow, right? There's a difference. And you judge the difference, don't you? Pick that up. But it's heavy. You'll get bigger muscles. Right? Pick that up. He'll break his back if he tries to lift that by himself. I'll help him. You judge the difference, don't you, parents? On which one will cause him to grow and which one will cripple him? Yes. You don't think God does the same thing for us? That's who he is. That's what he's about. Learn to trust him. It won't always be easy or perfect, but he wants to bless you. That's why I don't subscribe to the prosperity gospel message, right? That if you just give to get, right? He's like, you give and you get. This whole prosperity gospel thing. See, we, <laughs> God wants to bless you, and you don't need a prosperity gospel to be blessed. You need the process of the gospel to position you to receive blessings from God who has already stored them up for you because you are a son and a daughter. You belong to him. He wants to bless you. Begging is for people that have no rights to anything. You have position. See, see, here's the thing. You have position, but you don't have right posture. You're on the ground begging when you're supposed to be seated at his right hand. 
You're not waiting on a handout from him. You are waiting for God for you to reach out and grab hold of the promises he's already given you and the authority he's already given you. Stop asking for a handout and reach out and grab what's already been given. Claim it. Take what's yours. <laughs> but don't think everything belongs to you. All right? What I'm saying is you can grab what's yours, but you cannot grab what's not. Right? The prosperity gospel, prosperity gospel says grab everything. Gobble, 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 gobble. Hungry hippo, right? You guys remember that? Right? You're just smashing stuff like a crazy animal. God wants you to grab what's yours. Not what's your brothers or your sisters. Okay? And that's the difference. God wants you to reach out and take what he's already promised you as a son or a daughter. And it's certainly not to be defeated. Hmm. Walking in authority is this. Simply understanding what you carry and who you were created to be. Okay? So let's come back to the research. Let's come back to the research that I, I talked about last week. So we talked about this idea that when your heart is grateful, that your medial frontal cortex actually grows in its ability to make decisions and its intelligence. So your brain gets smarter and your decisions get better when you're grateful. So we went through seven days of gratefulness. We posted what we're grateful for. Some of you guys are, are, are getting there. Some of you guys didn't catch it all. Like some of you, the only thing you're grateful for is that you woke up. You didn't really, let, let me just be honest, okay? Let me step on the toes just a little bit. You didn't get it yet. You, your, your frontal cortex was not activated. You just said something to say it. You didn't really actually ponder and say, what has happened in my life that I can find some gratefulness for? I'm grateful I woke up. No, you're not, because you're, you're, you're not grateful about anything else that happened to you once you woke up. If you can't find a single thing to be grateful for in the entire day, other than the fact you woke up, that means you're ungrateful about everything else. Give me, like, really, take a minute and think, what am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? You can find something that you're grateful for. In every situation. So we want to activate the body to line up with our spirit. I wish above all things, brothers and sisters, that you be in good health, prosperous, even as your soul prosper. So it turns out that as your soul prospers, your health prospers, your mind prospers, your body prospers. There's prosperity built with your, with, within your spirit. God designed you that way so that you would always have to turn back to your spirit instead of your flesh. You want to give into your flesh? You've got to surrender to your spirit. So many people give themselves over to the desires of their flesh, and they don't realize they're destroying the very flesh that they're trying to give themselves over to. Huh. Think about that. So research has found... Not just that the heart and the brain communicate to activate that frontal lobe. Listen to this. Here's where it gets crazy. You ready for some science? Okay, everyone pay attention. Because I'm going to say it the science way, and then I'll explain it for all of you that did not do well in biology. Okay? Right? So for the first part of this, what you're going to hear is wah, 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 Charlie Brown. Okay? So... Research findings have shown that we practice heart coherence, say coherence, okay, that word's important, and radiate love and compassion. 
Our hearts generate a coherent electromagnetic wave into a local field environment that facilitates social coherence, whether in the home, workplace, classroom, or sitting around the table. As more individuals radiate heart coherence, it builds an electric field that makes it easier for others to connect to their heart. So theoretically, it is possible that enough people building individual and social coherence could actually contribute to the unfolding of global coherence. Dr. McCartney. Wow, right? Not a single one of you. <laughs> let me say it. Oh, you knew? You knew? Okay. All right, so let me explain that for the rest of you, okay? Uh, I had to read it twice, so don't get upset, okay? And I'm a science guy. All right, let me explain what it said. It said not only does your heart and your brain line up, but it turns out that when you operate in love and compassion out of your heart, true love and compassion, when you do something out of compassion instead of guilt, right? The guy in the corner, you give him a dollar because you feel guilty because you have so much and he doesn't. And you did it out of guilt, right? But then when you see someone, you're like, oh, man, I just have compassion on him and you gave, right? I'm just giving you a distinctive difference, right? Somebody that knows you have a, a, a pickup truck and is like, can I borrow your pickup truck? Yes. Right? So there's a difference between compassion and guilt. So many of our churches have taught guilt or doing it out of obligation, correct? But this says that when the heart, when things were done out of compassion or love, that there was a coherence of the heart. What that means is the magnetic field of the heart became measurable. They were able to actually see that the magnetic wave of the heart, these waves that are measurable by magnets, actually formed a shield, coherence, okay? Uh, a coherent shield. So it radiated. Their heart rhythms changed, and it began to put off an electromagnetic field. And what they found is when they came together with somebody else who also was doing something out of love, that the magnetic field became coherent to each other. Okay? It registered with each other. And what they found is, is that the two magnetic waves together measured further than each one on their own. They multiplied instead of addition. Okay? So instead of one and one equaling two, it was one and one equals ten. So it reached further. So this coherent, and they found that when they got enough people together, that they could actually positively affect the people around them that were not in coherence. So when the strong magnetic wave would hit, they measure the wave of two people who are in coherence, okay? The, they would, it would hit someone else, and the other person's heart would begin rhythms to change, and they would start to move towards theirs. <laughs> Do you, you see what I'm saying here? So their heart started to... Let me put it this way. We're two or more gather and agree. Say agree. Say agree. Say agree. And agree on anything. It shall be theirs. So these people have come together and their hearts now are agreeing. And so what happens is, is the, the love of their heart actually reaches out and touches people. And without even knowing, and that person can feel. Have you ever got around someone and you're like, man, this person loves Jesus, Right? You ever get around the altar call workers or me when I pray and you go, oh my gosh, there's something about him. There's something that he carries that's powerful. Just being in his presence changes me. The science proves what the Spirit of God has been telling us for thousands of years. 
So they did this experiment. They wanted to see how far this goes. And what they found was when they brought them, they did a study, and um, it was done in 93 in Washington, D.C. And what they did is they got 2,500 people to meditate. And so it didn't specify if they were praying, if they had faith, if they didn't. Some might have been multiple faiths. It didn't specify. It was a scientific study, okay? Um, but 2,500 meditators would, would meditate for a certain specific period of time with the intention of reducing crime. So they would just focus everything on reducing crime and sending out love. And they all got together, 2,500 meditators. And what they found is during the times that they would purpose to meditate towards that crime reduction, that crime would drop 25%. Crime would drop 25%. Now imagine if those people understood their authority. Imagine if they understood who they were created to be rather than just focus on something as the heart thinks so it is instead of just focusing on something but to purpose and to partner with God and realize the full weight and magnitude of what they carry. See, they were just meditating on it. But imagine what happens when you start to pray and believe that your prayers have power. See, what happens is that field grows and it begins to infect and influence more people than you ever could on your own. Is that, is that good? Let, let me read you this story. We're going to close here in just a minute. I, I want to show you what happens when you partner with people and you just give away what you are. And sometimes all you have is this, what Jesus had, compassion on the sick. It said that Jesus had compassion, so he healed. Love and compassion is the biggest, biggest way to walk into your authority of who you were created to be. So I read this story. In Crown Heights, there is a Jew, a Yankel, who owned a bakery. And he survived the concentration camps in World War II. And he once said, you know why it is that I'm alive today? As a kid, just as a teenager at the time, we were on the train in a boxcar being taken to Auschwitz. Night came, and it was freezing. Deathly cold in a boxcar. The Germans would leave the cars on the side of the tracks overnight, sometimes for days on end without any food, and of course no blankets to keep us warm. He said, sitting next to me was an old Jew, this beloved elderly Jew from my hometown I recognized, but I'd never seen him like this. He was shivering from head to toe and looked terrible. So I wrapped my arms around him and began rubbing him to warm him up. I rubbed his legs, his arms, his face, his neck. I begged him to hang on. All night long, I kept the man warm this way. I was tired. I was freezing cold myself. My fingers were numb, but I did not stop rubbing the heat on this man's body. Hours and hours went by doing this. Finally, night passed. Morning came and the sun began to shine. There was some warmth in the cabin and then I looked around the car to see some of the other Jews in the car. To my horror, all I could see were frozen bodies and all I could hear was a deathly silence. Nobody else in the cabin made it through the night. They died from the frost. Only two people survived. The old man and me. The old man survived because somebody kept him warm. I survived because I warmed somebody else. You have to know who you are. You have to know what you carry and where your heart is. 
You also have to be careful with who you allow to influence your heart and who you align yourself with. Do you align yourself with people who are keeping you warm in a cold world? Or do you align yourself with people who stay distant from you when you need help, when you need love? Look, you have to know who your Judas and your Peter is. See, Peter had a bad day, but Judas had a bad heart. Learn from the fishermen. You need to learn who to catch and who to release. You need to stop reeling in the problems and reeling in those people that are just going to cause you issues. And you need to learn how to release them back to where they've gone. You beg God. When you beg God, you limit the level of love he has in your life. You are telling him that you think his love is so little and he conceives and cares for you so little that he's not listening, that you have to beg, borrow for who you are. God wants to keep you warm. God doesn't want to leave you or forsake you. He wants to sit with you in the frosty nights. You need to be around people who have the same heart as you, who have a heart after God. See, because when you get in alignment with God's heart and you get in alignment with someone else's heart, you get in alignment with heaven and it comes down. And that is the breeding ground of miracles. That's the breeding ground of miracles. So don't tell me you're just one person, you can't make a difference. Because when you come together in a group, you multiply what you carry. So let me ask you this. Is the multiplication of what you carry corrupted? Or is it thankful? Is it merciful? Is it compassion? Is it love? Or is it judgment? Do you come into church because you're supposed to? Because you're not getting anything from that. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we just ask for you to stir our hearts, Father, to align with you. Let us reach coherence. Let us align with others and with you, God, in such a powerful way that we can come back and realize that we don't have to be beggars. We don't have to beg you to answer our requests. You've already set a table before us in the presence of our enemies. That you've made a banquet for us that we don't need to beg for food. We don't need to beg for the bread of life. We don't beg for your presence. We don't need to beg for your promises. They're already ours. So we enter into a season of authority, God, where we start to say to the things that have taken dominion and authority away from us that that belongs to me because I am a son of God and I take the authority of my Father. We start to rise up in who we're called to be and start to show love and compassion to a lost and dying world so that they don't live as beggars too. Father, make us into your image. Restore to us the dominion given Ignite our hearts to walk in miracles. To see your nature poured out on every place. In the miraculous power of God. We thank you.
just while you're sitting with your heads bowed. I'm not even getting specific. I'm just going to ask you, if that nailed you right in the heart, just raise your hand so I can pray for you. If that one was for you this morning, you say, man. Come on, raise your hand. Everyone. There you go. Well, who it's for? Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Today's that day. Today's a day of breakthrough. Today's a transitional day. A day where you move into a new realm, an authority that you haven't walked in before. In the name of, I just believe that God's Spirit is stirring on the earth and He is ready to pour out His authority on His children. And that when we come together, we can, we can come together and join with other people and carry their authority. It infects us. Their anointings transfer to you. And so this morning, I want to get you that anointing. If you want more, you need to partner with somebody. If you walk into this door at the beginning of church and you leave at the end of church so that you can hear a message, then you didn't hear my message this morning. It's the partnering together with like hearts that will give you authority. So if you wonder why you you go to church and you don't get breakthrough, I just told you. I just told you. You have got to come together with God's people. And if you can't do it, then don't wonder why you're broken. Don't live, don't live by the American standard of saying that coming to church one time a month is somehow going to get you to where you want to be with your relationship with God or in your walk in your life or get you to complete your mission that God has set you to. It will not. It will not. When you partner with God's people, you come in authority. And if you do that one time out of 30, don't ask me why you just can't seem to get a break. Because you have your answer. You've got to come together with God's people. You've got to come together with God and unite together as one body so that we can finally, finally see and the world will see that Jesus was sent. Because His authority will return to the earth and the words we say will carry it. We will speak and have our strength back.